Well, good morning. <laughs> Remember me? It's been a while, right? It's uh, actually been since uh, July 5th was the last time that I had an opportunity to be here and open God's Word with you before going on a, a bit of a sabbatical from preaching and uh, a short vacation, a couple of weeks of vacation this summer. Uh, it was awesome. Thank you very much for doing that. I thank all those men who came to fill in while I was away. I'll highlight them in just a second. But I remember mentioning back when I opened Micah chapter 1 on July 5th, saying something to the effect that, well, this will be the only sermon I'll get to preach in this particular book because as I go away and the guest speakers come, they will end up speaking the rest of the book. Well, as it turned out, a couple of those men, uh, as we often will do, we'll give them the opportunity to say, you know, you can continue what we're doing, or if you would prefer to bring something that God's put on your heart, then please do so. And a couple of those men, of course, did. So I get to come back today and next week and complete the book, and especially today to be able to preach on Micah chapter 6. I'm very, very excited about that. It's a, it's a fantastic chapter within the book, if not the ultimate chapter, the, the most meaningful chapter in the book as far as teaching is concerned. So I do want to thank Rudy Bota for three great messages in Micah uh, in the last uh, five, six weeks. Also, Paul Siemens, who used to be a member of the Rock Church, uh, an elder, one of our first elders here at the Rock Church. And actually, good news, I, I heard in the last couple of weeks that uh, on September 1st, he will become the new lead pastor at King Road Church in Abbotsford. So congratulations, Paul, and thank you for preaching on Micah 3. And then for the last two weeks, we had two immersed students, uh, David Hildebrand and Freddie Orozco, came and preached on 2 Kings and Galatians 3. Uh, so thanks, guys. That was really, really awesome. Did a great job, and really, we appreciated your ministry. I also want to share with you that prior to going on vacation near the end of July, I had begun the process, along with the elders, of inviting a number of men and women within our church family, a, a good cross-section of, of all of you, uh, to join us on uh, what we're terming as a ministry team, uh, to hand out some books to everybody to read and ask them to read and fast and pray over the summer months, so that as a group, as a team, we can, on behalf of the whole church, prayerfully consider what the Holy Spirit has been telling us over the past four to five months about the ministry of our church, about Sunday gatherings, about missional community group, about ministry to the community. And what have we been learning about the fact that we, we can't gather here in person together on Sunday mornings and instead we're doing this? You know, we're live streaming uh, so that we can have worship and word together every week. And also so that we can discern what are we to do going forward? And so to that we also sent out a survey uh, on Friday in our e-newsletter, or a link to it anyway, asking you, all of you, as part of the Rock Church, to fill out the survey to give us some idea of how you're feeling about gathering again. What, where are you at with that, um, with COVID-19 and with the, uh, the, the rules and regulations that have been put in place by our government and our health ministry, which is awesome. So I just want to say I'm encouraged by this, this ministry team. I'm really encouraged by their gifts and their heart and their participation already uh, and looking forward to be able to report to you some of our thoughts and findings over the next couple of weeks. Now, if you would turn with me to Micah chapter 6, and if you open your Bibles or open an app to that chapter, as you're doing that, I want to open up with a little bit of an introduction, and I want to talk to you about bumper stickers. <laughs> yes, bumper stickers. And it's not because, like, actually this summer, as I was thinking about this, actually, in Micah 6, 
um, coming to this, you know, driving across Vancouver Island into the Okanagan on vacation, I'm seeing bumper stickers. They all of a sudden, of course, are more noticeable because you're thinking about it, but it's still a thing, believe it or not. People are still putting stickers on their bumpers or on the back of their car, and in some cases, over the back of their vans and, you know, all the rest of it. And you know what it typically looks like, right? People are, are promoting their political views, you know, their party that they're for, and, and of course, the bumper stickers are the color of their party, whether blue or red, you know, you get that, right? But it's usually about their political uh, um, uh, leanings or social leanings uh, related to the environment, etc., things like that, about their favorite um, uh, sports team, you know, like, woohoo, cheering on with a bumper sticker, your favorite, go Canucks, um, you know, that kind of thing. But of course, you all know this. You know this is true, <laughs> and you knew I was probably going to come to this. There's one category of bumper stickers that is quite prevalent uh, in our world and culture today, in, in the United States especially, but also in Canada, also in Canada. And of course, I'm talking about Christian bumper stickers. And the reality is, is that, let's be honest again, they, some of them, many of them, if, in fact, can be terribly, terribly embarrassing, right? But I'm just saying. I mean, of course, you know, like some of the standards out there, there's the WWJD bumper sticker, you know, what would Jesus do? Uh, you know, that's been around for a long time. There's, of course, the symbols, the, the little fish or the big fish. And uh, sometimes there's a big fish and a bunch of little fish on the back of a van or something. And that's, of course, mom, dad, and all the kids. You know, that's what we do. We're Christians. And, uh, you know, there's, there's of course, the, 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 the Christian fish that's eating the Darwin fish. You ever seen that one? Right? That's out there too, right? And, of course, that's in response to the fact that there was a, a, also a Darwin fish. That, anyway, you, you guys get the picture. You get the idea. There's also uh, some out there that are really strange. There's the dire warnings about heaven and hell. Like, there's actually one purpose sticker I saw, uh, and I was looking online just to see what are the worst ones, and here's a couple I found. There was one that says, this fish won't fry, but you will. I'm serious, okay? That bumper sticker is out there. Now, you just imagine for a second, you got that on your car, and someone's driving, you're driving behind someone who's got that on their bumper. <laughs> you wonder why there's road rage? I mean, Boy, I mean, some of these are just unbelievable. There's some of them, actually, that I, I kind of like. They're kind of corny, but I kind of like them. You've seen this one. Some of you may be the one that says, honk if you, love, if you love Jesus, text if you want to see him soon. Okay, so distracted driving. I mean, come on, it's, that's pretty funny. So actually, one of my favorites is not a, a Christian bumper sticker at all. It's not. I've seen it before. It's, it's typically on one of those really large mobile homes, like, like the bus type, right? Like a $300,000 bus, you know, like mobile home. And, and of course, grandma and grandpa, uh, you know, your parents are, are driving that bus, and they're sitting in their captain chairs in the front seat. And on the back of the motor home, there's this sticker that says, sorry, kids, we're spending it. I don't know, uh, call me crazy, but I, I kind of find that one funny. I love it. So, so now listen, he, here's, here's the big problem uh, with Christian bumper stickers. I'll suggest to you that there are many Christians, not all of course, but many who live by their bumper sticker. In fact, their bumper sticker is, quite frankly, for all intents and purposes, as much witnesses, witnessing that they do on a day-to-day -day basis. They do it on their bumper sticker. Really? And, 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 and come on, many of the bumper stickers, the theology is kind of light, isn't it? It's, it's, if not wrong, but it's certainly bordering on the light side. Now, as I've already suggested, now imagine you've got people following Christians who are using these kind of bumper stickers, and, like, and what are they thinking? What are they thinking you're trying to say to them? I mean, really? 
I mean, I actually saw a bumper sticker, and this is a good one, I think, in response to that. It says this, my mind was changed by a bumper sticker said no one ever. I think that's a good bumper sticker. I might actually get that one for myself. So as I've said, they're generally really poor theology, and they generally are representative of those, I, I feel, whose faith, walk, and theology is also rather thin. And worse, worse, the use of a bumper sticker for many people is nothing more than their attempt to say, hey, look at me. Hey, look at me. I got a bumper sticker that says this thing, and therefore, based on that, I'm a Christian, and hopefully, I'm a good Christian. Is that the motive? Is that why we're doing it? Well, I wonder. So some of you might be here today or watching this morning and going, you know, you're a younger generation, right? And you're thinking, oh, yeah, come on. Like, that's days gone by. Like, I would never stoop to being so silly as to have a bumper sticker like that. My parents, maybe. My grandparents, for sure. You know, I mean, some of the things they post on Facebook, oh, my goodness, you know, it just drives me crazy. I love them, but I have to block them. You know, I understand. It's, it's what it is. But listen, be very careful, you Gen Zs and you millennials. You know, we love you, but be very careful. You know, you might think that you're really, really woke and you're much more hip and you just wouldn't resort to that, right? Well, just a second. You have your bumper sticker today, too. It's right here, right? Hashtags. Yes, they're, they're modern bumper stickers, if you think about it. Now, please, don't text me with your hashtags today and say, that's not the purpose of the... I know, okay? I might be older than you, but I, I do understand the purpose of a hashtag, but that, unfortunately, is still being used today by someone who says, hashtag this. Therefore, you know where I stand, and therefore, especially, you know I'm a Christian, and there, my job's done. Well, today's passage in Micah contains the most famous, one of the most famous bumper stickers, um, certainly the most famous bumper sticker verse in this whole book of prophecy. We've used part of that verse for our title, of course, for this series, which you've seen on the screen earlier. And it is this, it is from Micah 6, verse 8, and it is, is this part, do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with our God. It, it, it's a great bumper sticker. However, I hope you're going to see today, God's not really into bumper stickers. He's not really into taking just a little snippet of a Bible verse like that and saying, there, I've done my job. I've proclaimed that I'm a Christian. End of story. Your sermon title for today is What the Lord Does Require. What the Lord Does Require. We're going to see in this incredible passage. Incredible passage, some challenging things. Number one, the indictable charges. This is a court of law, indictable charges. Two, the pathetic plea bargain. And thirdly, the just verdict. So let me pray for us one more time this morning before we have a look at this passage of Scripture. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for who you are. We, Lord, I want to thank you this morning for your word. I thank you for this book of prophecy. I thank, you that, uh, I thank you that you're the kind of God, you're the kind of Father who when we get out of line, when we are unfaithful, when we are not true to you, you discipline us. You don't just give up on us. Father, I thank you. I thank you for these words of the prophet Micah. I thank you that they're true because they are your words. And I thank you that the, thing that the things that you prophesied through him all came true, including your verdict. So, Father, thank you. Holy Spirit, would you speak through me today? Would you please help me? This is a challenging passage. It's a beautiful passage, but it's challenging. So I pray that you would help 
uh, everyone here who hears these words today and who uh, hears from you, Holy Spirit, that we would be encouraged, that we would see the beauty and we would see the love that you have for us in this story. And I pray these things, Lord Jesus, in your worthy name. Amen. So number one, the indictable charges. I want to read for you verses one to five. Hear what the Lord says. Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people, and he will contend with Israel. O my people, what have I done to you? Have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery, and I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered, and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the acts, the righteous acts of the Lord. So Micah 6 opens what is clearly presented to us like a court of law, right? Uh, You can almost hear the hear ye, hear ye, the right honorable honorable God of all creation presiding. This is a court of law. That's the way it's being presented to us. It's it's a wonderful piece of language as the Lord, he he calls upon, uh, of course, those who are guilty, the people of Israel and, and his people to hear the charges, the indictments that he has, but he also calls to all of creation, to the mountains. He basically calls everyone together to hear these charges, these indictments that he has. And so the charges are laid. The language is unmistakable. The ESV translates the Hebrew in indictments. These are charges, and they're serious. But these indictments, look at this, it's really important for us to see this, are against his very own people. We must see this. God is laying charges against the people of Israel, his beloved people, his church. We must see that today. So this is serious, and yes, I'm sure, it makes us all pretty uncomfortable. But look, come on, look at the text, look at the story a little deeper, and and look at God's heart. I mean, first of all, it says that he, he, he wants to contend with them. He's calling the court together, everyone together, and he wants to contend with the people of Israel, with you and me. He cares. He cares. He's not giving up on them. He never does. He never does. He cares. A good father, an earthly father, would and should do the same thing. You go to your children. You exhort them. You rebuke them. You tell them what they're doing wrong. Why? Because you love them. And so that's the heart of God that we need to see here. And then, and then hear his heart. I mean, hear his heart. Look at the words, the, the words that I read this morning. Look at them for yourself. He says, oh, my people. <laughs> These are such beautiful and loving words. So our kind and merciful God, that's what he's displaying here, how kind and merciful and patient he is with his people, with us, He's asking them, he's asking them how he, the God of all creation, the God who rescued them from captivity, remember that? Remember, how, how is it possible that after all I've done for you over 
centuries after centuries after centuries. How is it possible that you're tired of me, that, that I've wearied you? This is the God who has redeemed us and saved us. How is it possible that he could, we could tire of him? Well, they did. And that's what he's charging them with as well. And, of course, we can do that too. How is it that they've become so weary, wearied, so impatient with God that they no longer truly love him or fear him or obey him the way that they ought? That's essentially what he charges them with. So the charges are pretty serious. <laughs> Micah has been laying them out for the first five chapters of this book of prophecy. It's been clear, one charge after the other. They've been unfaithful towards God. They've been giving themselves to all the idols of the church, especially the idols of the city, of the culture in Jerusalem and in Samaria, just like we do in Vancouver and Toronto and New York and London and Squamish. They've not only um, been unfaithful by giving themselves to the idols of power and, and wealth and, and sex and things like that, but, th but they've also been unfaithful to the command of God, which is to love him, but also to love the poor. They've become like the people of the world who are oppressing the poor, taking advantage of the poor. There's no difference between them and the people of the world. So they become oppressors and they become oppressors and not liberators like they should be. I mean, who better should know what it feels like to be oppressed and then to be freed, to be liberated, than the people of God? Who better than the people of God, than you and me, you and I today? So what does the average human being do? Think about this. What does the average human being do when, when presented with this kind of charge or this kind of accusation against uh, yourself? These serious indictments against your person, about, against potentially, well, yes, your character, for goodness sakes, right? Your actions and the way that they are leading and the way that you're leading your lives. We're humble, right? When someone comes to us and says something like that, we're generally, oh, oh, yeah, no, are you right? Oh, man, you're right. I am so sorry. Please forgive me. <laughs> no, we don't. No, no, I, I don't know about you. You're probably more righteous than I am. But no, no, generally, that's not my first go-to. No, my first go-to is defense. <laughs> wait, wait a second. You know, I'm not that bad. I mean, did you know that they did this or defense is usually what happens. We, amount, we mount a defense. And that's what Micah, what God, listen, look, sees from the people of Israel. So, so, so number one, we, we've seen the, the indictment, the charges, right? We've been seeing them throughout this whole book. And you can go and re review that for yourself, but I've highlighted them for you basically. And number two now, we're going to see the pathetic plea bargain. Please, I, I understand, but let's see it for what it is. Verses 6 and 7, read with me. Micah records, with what shall I come before the Lord? Now, this is the person who's been charged responding. This is the voice of that person. See the literature correctly and the word correctly. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the Lord on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old, 
Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? <laughs> Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Okay, now I don't know if you can tell from just my inflection, but just reading it for yourself, I don't really have to add a lot of commentary here. You can see that there's, there's a bit of sarcasm in this, isn't there? I mean, they're giving a defense, but it's really... It, it, I mean, basically, the plea bargain, I think, if you were God, would sound like this. Well, O most high and mighty God, <laughs> what would appease you then? That's how the pagans would approach their gods, by the way, but they would actually be a little bit more fearful of their gods because they would fear that their gods would not be appeased and therefore kill them. How do you want me to bow to you, is the language. How about with a multitude of burnt offerings as if as if all that I have brought to you is not good enough? How about not just my best year-old calves, but how about my whole flock? How about my whole stock of calves? I mean, take them all. You know, will that suffice? Name your price. Thousands of rams, 100 gallons of Primo EVO. Is that what you want? Lord, is that what you want? Oh, wait, I got it. I got it. Maybe what you want from me, Lord, is you want me to be like the pagans and sacrifice my firstborn child to you. Is that what it'll take? Is that what it will take? Now you hear that, right? That, that's, <laughs> this, this is one of those times you would you think they would like, this is when God's going to smote them, right? Smite them, smote them, past tense, present tense, lightning bolt. Like, really, God, you're going to take that? I, I think we need to understand here, this is, this is hyperbolic, yes. Um, it's rhetorical, yes. It's sarcastic, yes. But to a certain extent, I, I, I want us to understand, I think sometimes our pleas, our defense before God sometimes sounds like this. It could. It might. So be careful. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been in a situation, you know, a relationship, uh, whether with your wife or husband, um, your parents or your children, um, your uh, co-worker or your boss, a situation where things get really heated, um, and it's getting heated now primarily because you're beginning to feel uh, very defensive because you're being criticized. Basically, people have been looking at what you've been doing and what you've been offering and how you've been behaving and how you've been contributing, and they're basically saying, you know what? It's not good enough. It's, it's actually enough. You're feeling like all your efforts to show the other person how hard you're trying, how much you're trying to make, make them feel good and, and, and support them and, and quite frankly, uh, make them happy are not being appreciated. And then what comes out of your mouth? <laughs> how about this? What more do you want from me? Ever said that? Like in your head, right? Okay. I've got the T-shirt. Janice, I think, has heard that phrase once or twice in our 44 years together. And she's stuck with me. Thank you, Lord. What more do you want from me? Well, that's what's happening here. The people are in defense mode, and they're asking, what more do you want from us, God? Come on. We all go there sometimes, and with God too, I believe, don't we? I think we go there especially when we sense the Holy Spirit is convicting us of our sin, uh, or when God allows us to suffer, whether through physical sickness, through loss of loved ones, through the loss of a job, uh, money, um, or unanswered prayer and 
unfulfilled longings, we can sometimes go there and, and maybe not utter those exact words to God, but feel that. God, what more do you want from us? You know, I'm trying. You know, I'm trying to be a good Christian. I, I go to church. I, I, I give occasionally. What more do you want? But friends, know this about your Heavenly Father. This is what we need to know. And that, again, this again, even in a, in a challenging book of prophecy like this, this is what we actually learn from our God and about our God. Who he is is this. It's not about what he wants from you or me. It's what he wants for you. It's, it's, the, it's the other way around. It's what he wants for you. The way we're going about living our lives chasing after idols and, and not loving him and following his commands and obeying him the way that we should is, is actually causing us not to be well and not to flourish. And so God wants what's better for us. He wants us to be well, to flourish, and not just for our own benefit, but for the sake of others. And now, in this text, we arrive at that bumper sticker verse. It'll be on screen. Verse 8, he has told you, old man, what more you can do for him. No, he has told you, old man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? It's, it's almost like God heard that, that question, right? What more do you want from me, God? Okay, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. So Micah tells them and us what God does require, and look, what he does require for us is good. See that in the text? It's good. It's a good thing that he wants and requires of us. So what actually is this? Well, we could read this like many have um, since the day it was written and only see the end of the bumper sticker part, right? The part that we often quote and, and we we put on our banner for this series, do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with your God. We, we could just jump there and say, there it is. That's what he wants. So come on, let's just cut to the chase and, and let's figure out what God wants and let's do justice, right? And let's love kindness and let's walk humbly with our God. Get the bumper sticker, boom, done it, we're good. Well, hang on. <laughs> hang on. We could define that here today and that way and pray and say we're done. But wait. The verse actually begins, look at this, with the words, he has told you. <laughs> Be before we're given the do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly. It's in the past tense. He, he has already told you, many times actually, but specifically he has told them. He, you already know or you should know what he requires of you. Guys, come on, you're the people of Israel. Do you read the Bible? Of course you do. They, many of them had memorized it. So he's all, told you already, and where? Well, he's told them in the Law and the Prophets, and specifically with the Ten Commandments. But then, even in that day, clearly, they misunderstood the whole point of the Ten Commandments. They thought it was about, okay, that's the checklist. Do that, do that, don't do this, don't do that, we're good. That's it. They missed a lot. They missed a lot. So let me try uh, this morning um, to show you some things from the New Testament uh, that will help us better answer this today. I really hope this will be helpful. 
Answer the question, what does God really, really want from us? What does he want us to take away from Micah 6, 8? Not just from there, but what does he want for us today? So remember when Jesus was asked essentially the same question? He was asked essentially the same question. He'd been questioned many times, first by the Pharisees and then by the Sadducees. They all had their questions for him, you know, whether it was about the resurrection and about the law and all those kind of things. But then a lawyer stepped up, right? One of the lawyers, a lawyer, someone who's an expert in the law. He, he basically came to Jesus and he's like, Lord, listen, could, could you just help us with this? It's kind of like, what do you require of us? But could you simplify it for us? Like, if there's one thing, just one commandment that we can do, and if we do that, we're good and we're in, we're saved. We would inherit eternal life. What would that be? And so we see in verses 36 to 40 that conversation. He says, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it like it. That's important. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now, I'm sure many of you will know this because we've gone through this before uh, in the gospel and when we've actually looked at this passage in Matthew before as a church, that what Jesus has done here, and this, this lawyer, he, he should have known this, he probably did, but what Jesus has done in those two commandments that he's put together, the first and the second, is he's essentially summarized the whole of the Old Testament law, but the Ten Commandments. The, the, the first, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and body, and soul, speaks about the first four commandments. That's what the first four commandments are all about. The last six are about loving your neighbor as yourself. Now, the point that I'll make there as we go forward this morning for you is this. So the first four are about how we love God. The second the six are about how we love our neighbor. And so just even there, yeah, loving God first is important. But 60% of the Ten Commandments are about what? Loving our neighbors. The ways that we do and don't love our neighbors. Paul says in Galatians 5.14 something interesting, though. Jesus has just said that, and now Paul says in Galatians, for the law is fulfilled in one word. Look at this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, so hang on. I guess the question is, did Paul get the memo? Like, you know, this is strange, isn't it? Because he says one word, and, and, and he forgets the first and just says the second. But listen, let's also remember this. Paul uh, has been preaching to the Galatian church uh, about the false teachers that have been coming in, and he's, and, and, and he's been telling them that he's been preaching the one true gospel, and here's the deal. He's been telling them that everything that he preaches and teaches, he's been getting as a direct download from Jesus himself personally. So what's going on here? Jesus said, first, you love God, and then second, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, Peter, one of the apostles, who was pretty close to Jesus, he said this, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since lover, love covers a multitude of sins. Above all what? Well, all other commands. That, Peter says essentially the same thing that Paul's saying. So it's, I don't know, it's getting a little confusing. The Apostle John writes, If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. 
And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So John's emphasis again is on the love for others being the evidence that we love God. You see that? That's the evidence. That's, the, that's how actually God knows that we love him because he sees us expressing our love for others and that's how he knows we love him. So if there's no evidence of love for others and a love, listen, that's equal to the love that you have for yourself. Come on. <laughs> Come on. We love ourselves. We do. Above all else, we do. But the scripture is saying you need to love others exactly the way that you love yourself. And if you don't, you're a liar when you say, well, I love God. So there's that. Well, then we have James, the stepbrother of Jesus, saying this, if you really fulfill the royal law, the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well if you do that. So there's this royal law, right? So what's going on here? What gave the New Testament apostles and the church the idea that after Jesus had said in Matthew and said this to the lawyer, first, second, after he said that, that they could stop preaching and teaching about the first and just emphasize the second? What's going on? Why are they doing that? Well, a number of things, but mainly this. In Paul's case, as I've said, he's writing to the Galatian church. And as Freddie highlighted really well last week, there were these religious Jews infiltrating those churches with a false gospel of works, a Jesus plus works gospel, a false gospel. These guys were just like those guys in the days of Micah. They believed if you publicly demonstrated your love for God by your attendance, by your tithing, by your bowing and genuflecting, by your sacrifices, well, you were good with God. These were your bumper stickers. I'm good with God. Look at me. Look at what I'm doing. Secondly, and this is key for us today, Paul and the early church knew this to be true, very true. And it was not just true in the days of the early church with religious people in those days. It's true today as well. For the religious type, they believe that all their works, their bumper stickers, will demonstrate their love for God. And therefore, they're off the hook, caring for their neighbor. Instead, they could, they could ignore their struggling brothers and sisters, and they could, they could instead judge them and condemn them for not loving God first, the way that they do. You ever seen that? <laughs> That's what religious people do. They're judgmental, and they condemn others. So, but still, we're... Weren't they focusing on the second, right? Like, what happened there? What, what was the change? Why did that take place? Why were they bypassing what Jesus said? Well, they're not disobeying Jesus. They haven't missed the memo. No, they're actually, they truly got what Jesus fully taught. When Jesus answered the lawyer, he was talking to those, to people who are not yet Christian. But to his disciples later, on the night before he was betrayed and crucified, he said this at the Last Supper. He said these words, a new commandment I give to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. 
you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Christian, I got to make this really clear here today because this is important. Some of you are going to even maybe get off on this the wrong way. Some of you have. I have in the past. It starts with the church. Jesus is talking to his disciples. Judas has left the dinner by this time. He's talking to those who are his disciples. He's talking to the church. And he's saying, you demonstrate your love for God first by how you love your brothers and sisters in Christ. And then your neighbors too. Some people, I've heard it said, you know, a lot of people in the church, you know, like they're, I just, I don't know, they're just very judgmental. I find it really hard to love people in the church because of this and that. But, you know, people who aren't, aren't Christians, n- not so hard. Be careful. Be careful. Jesus wasn't finished. In John 15, this is added. Jesus, I love these words of Jesus. This is my, one of my favorite verses, uh, two verses that he gives. He says this is in, in uh, Genesis, uh, pardon me, John 15, 12 and 13. This is my commandment. It's just so clear. That you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Self-sacrificing love, which is exactly what he did. So now I hope it's possible for you today to see this wonderful and beautiful verse fully orbed. (laughs) Fully orbed for all it's worth. What does God want from you and from me, from us, church? He wants us to love, to really love. He wants us to love being kind. He wants us to love being merciful. He wants us to to love that way in a self-sacrificing way. He wants us to be kind and merciful to others just as he has been towards us. He wants us to love walking humbly with our God, humbly submitting to his will and to his word, not questioning it all the time, submitting to it. And if we start there, if we start with the middle, the loving kindness and mercy, and then walking humbly with our God, we will be able to do justly. We will be able to do justly. It's about how justly we love and serve others as much, if not more, than how we fight for justice. Yes, of course, we should and we must. But really, this verse is much less about social justice and much more about being just in every aspect of our lives. We come to point number three, the just verdict. So the verdict that Micah delivers from God in verses 9 to 16, I won't read all of those verses today. You you can review them in your devotions this week and maybe in community group if you're getting together. He makes it pretty clear. And, And this we should know and appreciate about God's justice. We should appreciate this about him and how just he is. When God promises, when he says that sin, rebellion, and unfaithfulness will be punished, he means it. I learned a really good lesson. Janice and I learned a really good lesson many years ago in a parenting course and seminar we went to where basically we were told this, don't threaten your children. You know, if you do this, you're going to get punished, you know. If you do, you've got to carry it out. You've got to carry it out. Otherwise, 
you're not good. It's not just. And so God is. So the verdict and its sentence will be carried out, is what the word tells us here. 150 years after Micah's prophecy, it all comes true. It's carried out. In 586 BC, the city of Jerusalem is destroyed. It's destroyed by the Babylonians, and the people are taken into exile. The final verses of chapter 6, we hear the gavel come down with these words in verse 13. Therefore, I strike you with a grievous blow, making you desolate because of your sins. As any good judge would do in a court of law even to these days, God lays out the keys to his case as part of the verdict and the sentencing, right? He recounts, if you read again in these verses here, he recounts their abuse of their wealth and power with with unjust measures and scales, he says, their corrupt self-centered greed and their dishonest words, which were all evidence which were all evidence that they not only did not love their brothers, their fellow people of Israel, their brothers and sisters as part of the people of Israel, they certainly didn't love their neighbors by the way they were treating them and the way they were doing business with each other very unjustly, but also they clearly did not love God. They clearly did not love God. So the question for us today is, what are the lessons, what are a couple of lessons that you and I can take from this incredible passage, do you think? How is it possible for you and I today to apply what we've heard here today to our own lives and to living out what the Lord requires of us today in this world during COVID? Let me suggest this important thing. This is important as I thought about it myself. Let me suggest that the next time that you are faced with an opportunity to love someone self-sacrificially, to love others as you love yourself, that you be watchful for one of these two thoughts to be lingering in the back of your mind. Because I think they're there for all of us. And the first thought is, what will this cost me? And the second is, What's in it for me? How will I benefit? Now, search your heart on that. Think about that. The next time an opportunity comes before you where you could really, really love someone, and yes, it's going to cost you money. It's going to cost you your time. It's going to cost you in very significant ways. And you're like, that's too much. I don't, even, I don't even know if, if it really will help because in the end, I, I'm really not sure how that will benefit me. Then at the same time, when you, when you think that way, when we think that way, let, re, let me suggest you remember the words of Jesus who said, truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did to and for me. So as I hope you've seen this morning, Micah's prophecy, yes, is hard. But it's also incredibly hopeful. (laughs) It's the story of a God, the God, who loves you and I so much that he's willing to discipline us so that we might grow personally and learn to love others and him, our God, more. 
That's what's good for us, and he wants that for us. But there's one more thing. There's one more thing here that I want to show you. Once again, the Holy Spirit is at work planting hopeful seeds, right? At little tiny breadcrumbs along the way. And I wonder, did you see it? Did you see it as we went by it earlier in verse 7? At the end of verse 7, I'll put it back, we'll put it back on screen. We read these words. Shall I give my firstborn my, for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? Now, imagine that you're God, right? and that, yes, you, you heard that, as I suggested earlier, somewhat sarcastically or with a sarcastic tone, but also maybe God's thinking this. Oh, man, you're so close. And yet you're so far. No, your firstborn son will not do, but mine will. You see that? It's, it's planted there. The hope is already there, even in something that we don't even understand. You see, God's words would be, your, your son is just like you. The problem is he's just like you. He, he's born in sin, therefore he cannot atone for you. But my son, well... He will be perfect, and he will not only atone for your sins, but he will atone for the sins of the whole world, for all those who will place their faith and trust in him for their salvation, and in nothing else, nothing they can do, and certainly not their bumper stickers. He will demonstrate for you exactly what I require of you. He will do justly, and he will justify you by his works. He will demonstrate for you my love and mercy toward you by how faithful he walks with me every day of his earthly life. He, my children, is my example for you. Follow him. Follow him. Pray with me, would you? Yes, once again, gracious Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for loving us so much that you will discipline us. Father, we need to be healed. We want to be healed. We want to be, uh, we want to be healed of our brokenness. Lord, we know the gospel, those of us who are Christians, we know that by placing our faith and trust in the works of Jesus, what he has done for us, that we've been saved from the penalty of sin once and for all. We are saved from that penalty. But Lord, we live in this world today, and the power of sin is still all about us and still all around us. So Lord, Holy Spirit, we need you. We need your help. We need you to help us to overcome these things. So, Lord, thank you for these words. Thank you for showing us what, we, what is required of us. And thank you for showing us that it's, it's really all about, as I concluded today, as you concluded for us, it's just about following the example of Jesus. So, Lord, would you help us to be more like him? Would you transform us and renew us today and make us more like him today and tomorrow and every day? 
Lord, I pray these things for our church right now, especially during the summer season, during this season of COVID. Lord, we live in a place, a beautiful place, but Lord, there are people all around us who are suffering, who are broken, who need to hear a word from you. So Lord, I pray that you would break us out of our isolation. You would show us mighty ways to go, therefore, and proclaim the gospel, the good news of salvation, the good news of Jesus to the men and women in our community here in Squamish. And so, Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Help us to be just, to be kind and merciful, and to walk humbly with you every day of our lives. And I pray this in your worthy name, Jesus. Amen.